Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Jen, and I can draw a direct correlation between the size of my earrings and the level of my confidence. Bigger earrings equal better days, or something like that. I'm Laura, and the stereo level in my car speaks volumes about how confident I'm feeling. If you hear Whitney Houston singing, I want to dance with somebody, blaring as I come up the street, you know I am flying high. Researchers tell us that among the many impacts of the global pandemic is our falling confidence. In particular, this drop itself shows up in work environments where we are struggling to make accurate predictions of the next quarter or even the next week. We need to regain confidence and put it to work. And the good news is that if we believe it's possible, even in today's unpredictable and challenging climate, it is. So let's get confident and let's get to work. Laura, we started this conversation on confidence last week, and I am really glad because you and I have talked about the fact that this one is true or at least feels very true. Confidence levels have dropped. We're all a little bit gun shy. So last week we jumped into this conversation on confidence and I want to do a really quick review because I think we did a high level. This is the opposite of confidence and here's the spectrum of confidence. And so Laura, to start us off on this quick review, what is the opposite of confidence? opposite or opposite that works too <laughs> thanks thanks um of confidence i was adorable i loved it the opposite <laughs> of confidence and i think this really helped me zero in on what confidence is but the mm-hmm. opposite of confidence is when there is fear there's a lack of trust there's doubt there's indecision those kinds of words help you understand what it isn't to, so that you can get after the elusive what is it Okay, and I think that was really helpful, and you did a good job zeroing in there last week, and I think what we also landed on with that piece is that a lot of times a lack of confidence masquerades as false confidence, and so we were trying to put our finger on that so that we could talk about a real genuine. We're not trying to just pretend life is great, oorah, we're looking for a real confidence. Okay, so then we went to the spectrum of how do we know too much confidence or not enough confidence. And we talked about the fact that too much confidence is a confidence that lacks self-awareness and doesn't listen. You know you're overly confident when you've stopped caring about feedback or what anyone else has to say. You People would look at you and go, they just completely lacking self-awareness. They have no idea what they're actually doing. We've gotten too confident when those are the things happening around us. On the flip side, Laura, what does it look like when you have not enough confidence? 
when you don't have enough confidence, you get stuck, right? So you get into spin mode, you're not making decisions, you're not making any forward progress, um, you're over delegating or mm. you're under delegating because you're scared to let anybody see under the hood. Like you're, you're living in the extremes when you are lacking in confidence. So some really good meters to help you then, right? So we have this overconfidence that's the bravado. We have the underconfidence that's the no auto of anything, right? We have <laughs> these extremes. The middle ground is where you find yourself comfortably using phrases like, that's a good idea, I hadn't thought of that good insight. Thank you. What do you think? Good confidence can be reflected in your willingness to ask questions and hear feedback. And I think that's going to help us set today's conversation. So remember that we said that, but I think that ability to be reflective and open to what others have to say says confidence. And then the next step in our confidence, Jen, I'll move us in this review, is that there are different types of confidence we experience in our life. We have that early immature confidence that really helps us be bold mm -hmm. um, and then we also have that more mature confidence that can help us be decisive and exercise wisdom and each type of confidence in its cycles can really bring forward really great things to put in our total confidence toolkit so to speak Yes, really good. Okay, so that's the quick review. If you missed last week, go back and listen. But that's the quick review of us trying to get a, a picture of what confidence is. And now we want to move the conversation into putting that confidence to work. Because it, it wouldn't be a big deal if we were lacking confidence if we didn't think it was useful. But confidence does a lot for how we work. And so we want to put it to work this week. And so Laura, as you think about using confidence and how to help it move your organization forward, what do you think of? Um, I think if I use the Collins word, it's getting people in the right seat on the bus. One of the mm -hmm. best ways to get a confidence boost and get it quickly is to put people in positions that play into their strengths. So I would even, this could be slightly controversial, but one of the things that we often do in organizations, especially larger ones, so this is where Jen and I, our experiences are different, right? In a larger organization, you do these things development plans, right? And you put mm -hmm. people in stretch roles and employ tactics like that. I'd suggest that they have their time and place, but you have to be careful if you are operating in an environment, whether it's a pandemic world that has everyone shaken, or you're operating in a really volatile marketplace um, for your particular business, it may not be the best time to be using that development technique. In-place mm -hmm. development is probably getting people what they need. So let's not knock down confidence by also saying, let's put somebody in a stretch goal that makes them question their capabilities and see if they really can pass the test. This is not the time to be doing pass the test positioning. This is the time to be doing play your strengths positioning. And I'm glad that you said this could be uh, an area for pushback. I think there are people who would disagree with us on this, Laura, but I agree with you. I, I think this is a moment where people are stretched enough in life in general that it's our job as leaders to call out strengths and set people up in the best possible circumstances. And so one of the things I'm seeing, even in a smaller organization, is that 
it's a lot of times easier to let things go longer just because you don't have that many people to move around or you just let's kind of see what plays out. And I'm learning in this season that I have to relieve strain faster. When I see frustration, I can't let it linger. I can't let it play out. I need to give people opportunities to say, if this isn't working for you, let's move this. Let's hand this to someone else. Let's find another way because we're too on the edge of burnout and frustration as a baseline to push people farther. And ultimately to do so doesn't help our organizations. So I think that's a big one, that if we're gonna put confidence to work in the workplace, we need to be putting people in the best places, putting teams together that are focused on strengths, not shoring up those weaknesses. So, and I think to go along with that, as you put people in positions and as you rearrange roles and responsibility, being really clear about things like Who's in charge of what? Where mm-hmm. do decision-making rights lie? Um, who has control and command over certain aspects of how you run things? All things we've talked about in different contexts before. But in this case, you say clarity brings confidence, right? We've talked in the past about clarity helps with decision-making. Clarity helps yes. with messaging. Here's a case where clarity helps with confidence. Don't waste this precious commodity that is confidence on people wondering, am I allowed to make that decision? Mm-hmm. Allow them to put their confidence into let's make the right decision. Yes, which I think takes us right into the next place that I think we need to put confidence to work. And that's in creating intentional confidence boosting opportunities. Here's what I mean by that. We need to focus on short-term wins. <laughs> and I know we've talked about this before. You can't live life on short-term wins. You have to be willing to try some things. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But when you are looking at needing to build confidence and get confidence flowing in your work environments, creating those opportunities for there to be a win, for there to be a move forward and to recognize it. And so we've talked about that. I'm not going to belabor that point. But here's another way I've been thinking about this one, Laura. And this one's a personal call out for me. I am the queen of stretch goals. I am the queen of don't give me some weak, lame, half-baked, you know the word I want to use, goal. Like, don't give me some lame goal that you could do almost in your sleep. I am I am the queen of you can do more, let's set the bar higher. One of the things I'm learning in this season is to delineate between achievable goals and stretch goals. <laughs> because you need to have some goals that do have outcomes within your control. Because too many times in stretch goals, there's things you can do to push toward it, but there's also a lot of things out of your control. And when you consistently set only stretch goals, then you're missing the opportunity to boost confidence and instead adding the strain that we were just talking about a minute ago. And so I hope that helps somebody other than me. But in recent weeks, that's been a big one for me of how can I help my teams and the people in my organization set some achievable goals and then come alongside it with a, here's what I think I can do in the next few months. And then here's what I'm going to push to do and have both of those things in front of them. I think it's a great point that both can exist together sometimes too, Jen, because I think some people will say, well, if I don't put the stretch goal out there, how do I get people beyond their comfort zone, right? Mm-hmm. 
putting them both there. So if I close my eyes and I easily picture the graph because we all know I love my Excel (laughs) spreadsheets and my graphs, right? And you've got that graph with like every day how you're building towards that goal that's sitting out there is that line that's creeping up on your graph, right? Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with having two lines, one of which is the hit this number and you're going to get a great performance review and the ice cream party is going to happen because we have achieved a goal and high five. Mm -hmm. Here's another number out here. But it's all upside between those two numbers. If you don't get it, the world is not going to come crashing around you and you did not fail. But there's the opportunity for sprinkles with your ice cream. Um, (laughs) So what I'm doing here later this afternoon. My point being, you know, put both of those things out there, but let people know that that's all upside opportunity for them Mm -hmm. to even do more, um, to give them the sense of I can win, but I don't have to, but it's not win big or fail. Right. It's it's win and then maybe win some more, um, which is hard because sometimes we just want to go, 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 push, push, push towards the stretch. Again, this helps build the confidence and breaking that goal down into different time increments is the other thing I want to add to this, right? So let's not just think about the x-axis of this goal. Let's also think about our y-axis. If we are saying, go get $20 million in two months, sweet mother, depending on the scale of your business, that <laughs> that number is a little scary potentially, right? Some mm-hmm. businesses it's not, some of them it's just a laughable number, right? whatever that number is for you. But if you turn that into what do you need to do per day or per week, suddenly you have something that you can build some confidence along the way. All right, we got week one, we hit our target. You'll notice that I'm not trying to divide 20 million by two months on the fly and get your week number, right? (laughs) You're just getting this one day or one week at a time. And next thing you know, you start to exceed because you've set yourself up to hit those smaller targets. And next thing you know, you're getting towards your stretch. So this whole framing of goals is an awesome opportunity. There's some great research out there on this topic. I actually took a class on it once, which is why my voice is getting faster and I'm getting wound up. (laughs) But the ability to set goals and frame data for achievable goals is a really exciting thing to really help with confidence in in your in your work. I can hear the confidence in your voice, Laura. That's it's it's good. It's good. I would guess that your radio is going to be way turned up this afternoon on the way to get your ice cream and your jimmies. So, okay, so far we've talked about putting our confidence to work by putting people in the best places and then creating confidence boosting opportunities. And Laura, the third one I want us to spend just a minute or two on is setting expectations for experimenting versus implementing. I think this is really important, right? And again, I think it's a similar conversation, right? With a little bit different context. Here we're saying, hey, one of the ways you can build confidence for yourself and for your team is trying things different, finding out what works, giving folks room to stretch and realize what they're capable of. But you have to understand um, and be very clear with folks. Hey, here's a place where we are, in fact, experimenting. If it doesn't work well, no problemo. We move on, right? As opposed to this is something we are implementing. It must be done correctly. Mm-hmm. That delineation is huge. It helps people put their mental energy in the right place and throttle it accordingly. And it also is going to help people understand, again, what their goal to some degree really looks like. Is this a place where I can get kind of crazy and see what works and, you know, mistakes are going to be learning opportunities? Or is this a place where I have a very clear directive and deliverable and it just needs to be done, doggone it. And this is where I think 
we can't overstate clarity. I feel like we're being redundant whenever we say that, but it can't be overstated because what we're really saying is you simply have to be clear on when you're in the lab and when you're in implementation mode. And the time, the way I'm reading the tea leaves right now, this is a big lab work time. This is a perfect moment for experimenting, for throwing things on their head. We just did a whole series talking through some of the things in Cal Newport's world without email. People are ready to revolutionize workspace and production and process. And part of seizing that moment without frustrating and tearing away already waning confidence levels is finding ways to name that so that even when there's setbacks or we try something, we experiment, we look at it from a different angle and it doesn't work, it doesn't have to feel like a hit to our confidence and our progress, but part of a a known season of experimentation, of saying, okay, well, now we discovered this isn't the right direction and we're ready to try the next thing. And so it becomes part of a larger picture. And then the flip side of that, like you said, is when you've also then gotten to a conclusion, you've played out all of the hypothesis, you have a theory. I sound so scientific right now, Laura. Um, But when you're ready to implement, it's the confidence of calling it and saying, here we go, this is the forward step, I'm owning it, and I'm feeling good about it. And then you move your team in that direction. So I think those are just a couple of ways that you and I are looking at putting this confidence to work. I like all of them, and I think it's really important that we just continue to be open and honest with our teams. And again, I'll reflect back to last week, but apply it to these concepts. In each of these cases, part of the confidence is you as a leader, Again, having the confidence to say the question, I don't know, do you? And telling people even, I don't know if this is going to work, but let's go for it. And if it doesn't work, we'll do something different. Or here's the backup plan. These are the opportunities that are in front of us. So in this crisis of confidence, we also have an opportunity for amazing things to happen. And that's what we want to continue to zero in on. So let's go to some real talk, Jen. And then when we come back, let's talk about how we take care of our personal confidence, not just the confidence of those around us. Today on Real Talk, we are hitting the stage with a living legend by the name of James Taylor. And Laura, it is there's no small amount of envy that I have for the fact that you and mom recently got to see him live on stage, not only at an actual concert, which A, awesome, but B, you got to see James Taylor. What did you learn about confidence? So it's ironic and amusing and funny you're sitting at a concert and you go oh I can totally use that on the podcast so how fun is that Jen Um, I'm sure James would have been thrilled to know so when mom and I were at the James Taylor concert concert recently one of the things he actually opened up about as he was introducing a song was their latest album release so here we're talking about James Taylor he is 73 years old he is an icon in his field right there's nary a person on this globe that doesn't recognize a James Taylor song even if they don't know it's him right there mm-hmm. this is the epitome of someone who should have confidence 
he told a story about how often when you cut a record it's like he described it as leading a child out into the world you take them by the hand you lead them out and you help them along by doing things like publicity etc right and then you let them go and free and blossom and grow and have their success right Mm -hmm. and he described the fact that as we entered um, came to COVID, he and his band had just finished cutting an album and they released it literally right at the onset of COVID. And he said, in this case, we did not get to take our child by the hand and lead them into the street. Um, instead, or I shouldn't say into the street, that sounds terrible, into the marketplace. <laughs> he said, it was like taking your child and dropping them into a well. Hmm. Um, just into a dark abyss, not sure what was going to happen. They couldn't get on the road and promote it, right? There yeah. were no television interviews to give about it, right? That whole thing just went away. And frankly, the album didn't do particularly well in its initial days as a result, right? Or initial weeks, even months. They're just now promoting that album a month, year later plus. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, but part of what was fun to watch is so he told that story and you could tell that that's a confidence shaker, even for somebody with that kind of incredible success. And even knowing academically that it wasn't their fault. It was a quality piece of work. Get, blame it on COVID like we do everything <laughs> else right now, right? Um, yeah. And in this case, appropriately. But what was really fun to watch was then he proceeded to sing a song or two. And after them, he had this huge grin on his face and you could tell he was even standing a little bit taller. And he said, as the crowd was just screaming and cheering, his words were, I missed that. I needed that. And I, that just resonated with me so much, right? There is a real world example of how sometimes you need to get that win and you need to go to the place that makes you comfortable and reinforces who and what you are in order to get a confidence boost. So there you go from the world of music, which we do not use often enough, a confidence boost with James Taylor. That's real talk. Thanks, Laura. All right, Jen, we have spent a lot of this series so far talking about confidence for the community, for others, for the group as a whole. We're going to be selfish for the next 10, 15 minutes and talk about our personal confidence. So permission to be selfish, selfish, it's my day to now not be able to talk. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and dive right into what are we going to do in those moments when it is us personally? We've lost our trust in ourselves. We're struggling to take ownership of complex issues because we're not confident in our ability to deal with them. We're questioning what we're doing, what we say. We've lost our voice because of that lack of confidence, whatever it might be. Let's work on ourselves, the hardest kind of work and start first and foremost with stop apologizing. And I do not mean to evoke somebody who has fallen from grace by the <laughs> virtue of saying that. But what I do want to say is let's stop apologizing for having the role in what is going on, the position in the organization, um, or even for the situation that you find yourselves in. We're going to stop apologizing right now and take ownership and accountability for what we do. I'd like that to be step one. Stop apologizing. Take ownership. This one's important. And this one is personal. And I, I will own that because I think it was about five to six years into um, the start of our organization. So obviously five, six years, you're past all of the startup energy and you're into some more organizational type places. And I actually went to a, um, a seminar and the person who was talking 
talked about the rut of apologizing for the role or for the position or the seat you have. And it was one of those moments where it did feel like she was talking directly to me because without knowing it, that's exactly what I had been doing. I had gotten to a place where because things were changing, I was questioning whether everyone else was questioning me for being in the role that I had. And it was causing all those things that we said, that opposite of confidence. It was starting, you know, that that lack of trust in the people around me, the doubts that were creeping in. And what I heard so clearly and what helped me so much was not in an abrasive way, but to not apologize. I am in the seat I'm in, in some ways because I've earned it, in some ways because I was willing, but either way, I'm in the seat that I'm in. And so I have to own it and be there. And then the other side of that, that you already introduced, Laura, is then also I have to be accountable for it. So I can't just go, yay, look at me, I'm in this seat, everybody do what I say. It has to be a nope, I'm in the seat I'm in. I'm not gonna apologize for having it, but I am gonna be responsible for what happens here. And so this is where, again, I'm gonna lean to something you've reminded us several times so far in this series, which is the confidence of saying, I don't know from whatever seat that you're in. And let's add to that, Jen. So part of this is recognizing that being placed in a seat, and I don't even mean leadership, whatever role you are playing, the from wherever formally you sit, you can lead, as we've discussed, mm-hmm. wherever you are, you are in that seat for a reason. The reason is never, let me repeat, I rarely make statements this bold. The reason you are in that seat is never because you personally know everything. Correct. You are in that seat because you have demonstrated the ability to coordinate. You've demonstrated the ability to listen to others. Maybe you've demonstrated the ability to analyze data that is extracted. You've demonstrated a set of skills and capabilities. You have not signed off that you know every stinking thing there is to know in your environment and that you can handle things alone. Let's go to the medical profession. Um, Obviously not one I am in. I don't have that kind of brain power or desire to be in a lab and not talk long. However, (laughs) medical, with all due respect, Medical doctors do not know every detail about every disease there is and every symptom and how they correlate. They have medical journals. They talk to colleagues. They read research. They participate in research. They don't know everything, right? And I think that is something that can apply. You can be the teacher of a subject and still need to go do research about things that have happened in that subject. And there are new discoveries that are made that you get to learn about. The beauty of this world is that you really, the knowledge available is infinite. So part of owning your seat is also owning that you're not in it because you know everything. You're in it because you're willing to keep learning and acknowledge what you don't know. And I think that to me is just so huge because so often people get into a seat and then they shut up because they don't want to be the person who didn't have the answer. So they'd rather be quiet. And it's so destructive. Yes. I I love that. Having the confidence to be a learner. And then I also do just, I I do want to tag this one, Laura, though, because I think there are listeners out there that are apologizing because in the midst of this pandemic, they got a promotion and nobody knows what they're doing right now. And they feel like everybody's looking at them going, what in the world are you doing? Someone needs to hear us say on this podcast right now, 
Don't apologize. Stop apologizing for the seat you have. Own it and do the job. Amen. Uh, sorry, it's my All preacher. Right. This is my preacher voice. I love it. I love it. Hey, have at it, sister. So I'll get you ice cream later. Okay. <laughs> stop apologizing. Next thing we're going to do is stop comparing. And I've gotten into this a little bit, but let's dig further. So the other thing we do is we get into the seat and then you start looking around you to see what others are doing and what's happening. So that could be in a literal sense. How is that other person dressed? I realize that is probably more of a female <laughs> than a male thing. It can be in a figurative sense. How are they getting that result. I can't get that result. Whatever the case might be, there's this tendency to compare and to assume that you do not meet the comparisons that are out there and that you are substandard to some degree, which is also very destructive. So one of the ways to really help with your own confidence is to stop this comparing and recognize that the people you're comparing yourself to, they are probably also paddling underwater just as hard as you are. They are probably also getting off that phone call and Googling terms that they have never heard before because they've never had to run a supply chain in a pandemic before, right? We are all learning and we all have things we don't know and we don't see 100% of what is happening with the people around us. So stop comparing because you don't know. Yeah. And it is, it's killing our confidence and it's slowing us down. And the thing is, we're not saying to not learn from others. If anything, you've heard us say multiple times now, be a learner, say, I don't know, look around in that capacity. So we want to learn from the work that others are doing. We even want to celebrate the work that others are doing, but we have to stop comparing all of the work. And there is a critical difference. And I would say, and again, Laura, you and I are in different industries, but it, I would say that more than ever before, there is not a one size fits all approach. There are best practices. There always will be, but we're all back to that experimentation phase that we're in. We're all looking at some different pieces right now. And so comparison is actually slowing all of the progress right now because we need more people willing to chart their own course, which takes confidence, but it's a confidence move to say, let's be there. Let's know that lots of other people are trying other things and they could be right or they could be wrong. And what the world needs most right now is for me to put my best efforts and my perspective and my, the role or the seat or the place that I am to work trying some things out. And the more time we spend comparing and looking around, I mean, again, I'll go back to the, the track and running. Like, you know, if you're looking around, you're slowing your progress to the finish line. You need to keep your eyes forward. So don't look back. Don't look around. Look forward. I think that's really powerful. And this leads us to our third point. So stop apologizing. Stop comparing. The next one is start listening. And part of what we're going to say here could almost sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths. We just said, don't worry about what other people are doing <laughs> and start listening. Pay attention to what other people are doing and listen to what other people are doing. And there's a difference here, right? Mm -hmm. Comparison, you are acting in a vacuum. You are looking without listening you are assuming in listening. That's so we're going to start listening. Yes. You are actively asking questions. You are learning from them. You are partnering 
recognizing, you are drawing out information. You are recognizing that you are not alone, but that there are others that are also in uncharted territories and maybe they've already seen some things you haven't or they've made some mistakes you haven't made yet and you can draw from that. So we need to stop the comparison, which is the vacuum approach and start the listening, which is the active approach to building confidence and working together and using each other to our advantage instead of disadvantage. That is really well said, Laura. That sense of comparison is when you're just assuming what's going on around you. Learning and listening is when you're actively engaging it. And that does involve the conversation and that does involve the network. And you and I have spent time on that. If people need to go back to the series we did about making sure you're building all kinds of useful networks. Laura, the last one that I think about when I think about our own personal confidence goes hand in hand with that don't apologize, own it. Um, but it's the idea of committing to ownership. Part of putting our own confidence to work is claiming the pieces that are ours. So in other words, um, you need to name the things that do fall within your control. As long as well as naming the things that are outside of your control, name the things that are in front of you and own the outcomes. Because where it feels like that's where you could fall in a pit, the truth is, and we're actually going to come back to this in memory lane, this is where you find out that if you haven't committed, you're going to go halfway and get hurt. Which is a fantastic point. And you're also going to be destructive to your own confidence without even knowing it. You're going to set a limiter on yourself by not committing because you're going to create this, whether you realize it or not, you're going to create a stop point that was completely unattended. And some examples of this are taking responsibility, owning how you spend your day. So if I could draw from our revolution series a few weeks ago, and we talked about spending time making, not just minding, I have to own Laura Brown. I have to own that. I cannot spend eight hours a day working on my inbox and that I need to say, this is how much time I'm going to commit to administrative work. And this is where I'm going to create space. And I'm going to find ways to take ownership for creating the space to go make something. So I use that as an example from our last series. I think it could also be that I'm going to take ownership of getting to an outcome. I'm going to say, instead of waiting to see what happens, I'm going to say, here are the three things we're going to actively go do. These might be the decision points that we're going to set out in front of us so that as we get more information that's out of our control, we can adjust, but we are going to do something. And I own advancement. I do not want to be the person who sits there saying, let's wait and see. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here in owning is this, per and it really ties to personal responsibility, right? But it's saying, just because this situation feels out of control, just because it is unprecedented, doesn't mean that you don't have the need to take ownership. And with a willingness to accept ownership, it becomes comes confidence very naturally. Because once you say, I own that decision, you've also given yourself permission to say, I'm capable of making that decision. And that mm. confidence just grows and builds on itself. I like it. Okay, so what we've said, Laura, is that when it comes to our own confidence, we need to stop apologizing for the seat you have 
and we need to stop comparing, which is when we're assuming what everyone else is doing is better than what we're doing or smarter or whatever, and instead listen more and actively ask questions to build our confidence and to be learners and to get more information and to be in a network. And then finally, to to commit, to own the things that are in front of us, to own the decisions. And I like how you really brought that home, Laura, with the idea that when you own the decision, you you have the confidence of saying, I, I got to make that decision. I got to be in this position and I can make this, this decision. This is mine to make. I have done the work. I have asked the questions. I'm ready to take a step forward. And it's when we do those little things all along the way that you really do feel your confidence start to come back. It really does come back with each decision that you own and each move that you make to boost someone else's confidence. And so I know for me, Laura, in a season where it feels like we've taken confidence hits, it's the it's not going to come back overnight, but doing the pieces piece by piece to start building it back. Welcome to Memory Lane, where we are going to talk about having the confidence to do things all the way and not just part way. So Jen, we learned this, um, I'm going to say in some cases, the slightly painful way, but in love. Is that fair? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes love hurts. Isn't that what the songwriters say? (laughs) Oh, it does. Love hurts, love stinks. Songwriters have been all over this one. (laughs) Yeah. No, Laura, as we were talking about all of these ideas of growing confidence and being able to do things, I couldn't help but think of how our dad taught both of us to throw a baseball or a softball rather in our case um, to throw and catch a softball and to slide into a base neither of us made softball a long-lasting endeavor in our lives but we definitely both learned early on and spent some years doing it and the approach that dad had in teaching us to catch a ball because he wanted us to be confident is he just threw it really hard at our face And that sounds brutal, but his process in doing that was that we were either gonna catch it or understand very directly why we needed to get our glove up. And the philosophy was halfway gets you hurt. You can't sort of kind of pretend to stick a glove out and catch, you commit. You put your glove where the ball is and you take it literally head on. And I know that at least in my case, Laura, I I don't know how often this may have happened to you, I know I got at least one bloody nose out of this, but it definitely built my confidence because that bloody nose that I got in the backyard learning how to catch was the confidence that I then had as a shortstop charging a ground ball because I wasn't afraid to go straight at it because halfway was not gonna help anybody. So, and it was the kind of the same way when he taught us to slide into a base, he pulled out the hose and he wet the grass and he's like, look, halfway breaks an ankle. Like you just gotta go down, go down, put your body on the ground. So I know everybody out there is thinking our dad maybe was a crazy, but we both learned and were quite confident in sliding into those bases and charging a ground ball, or in your case, out in left field, putting yourself directly under that fly ball. 
I love that. I was I love a good pop fly, and I learned exactly how to handle them from dad. Um, and to this day, love catching flies in the outfield. The other one I remember, Jen, so it was catching the baseball. It was learning how to slide. And it was also learning to commit when you made a decision on a field, whether it was a basketball whether it was a basketball court, a soccer field, a softball diamond, wherever you were to commit to what you were doing. Because if you were going to run to first base, run to first base. Don't doubt that decision. If you were going to steal, go. If you are going, if you are going to cut to the left, cut to the left already, right? Yep. So I love it. These are great lessons in having the confidence to fully commit even if it's a little bit crazy. And that is memory lane. Thank you so much for listening to the Sisters of Industry. We hope that this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Please take a minute to leave a comment on your podcast platform of choice or to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and share. Thank you.